0: Good morning, everyone. We are living the authentic life in the most amazing way. It is spring. We're so happy with the new fashion out there. It is Easter week and Passover week. And we have the most incredible guest my friend and one of the best storytellers I've ever met, Damon Parker. (laughs) And we even have Rob, joining us today. I'm like, I'll
1: admit it. I am a geek for Cartier. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I'm not just brown nosing. I have some of my personal collection, and of course, stuff I owned before I was married. But that's a whole another subject because my wife always gives me that look. But yeah, it's... that
0: look. So Damon <laughs> Parker is the most tenured Cartier associate in Houston, and he actually started in Las Vegas, where there's really some stories, I, I don't know if we can tell all those today, but where <laughs> he really began to understand about the antique Cartier pieces, because what we find so interesting is a lot of the luxury brands, the employees know about the current pieces that are right. out, but they don't have this incredible knowledge of the antique pieces, and of course we love the pre-owned and the antique, and yeah. we're just So excited to talk to you today. Well, thank you for having me.
2: I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm flattered.
0: So, Rob, why don't you start with your? Do you where did your Cartier journey start?
1: Well, as a a young kid that loved watches, Cartier was out there, and then the Pasha was such a unique design on the watch. The way the the crown guard protects it. When
0: was that? The eighties.
1: Um, In the 80s, yes, in the 80s, I started buying watches. Yeah, probably 1982 is when I bought my first good watch. I was uh, 16 years old, Um, a Rolex, running around doing stuff. Then I started buying some of the Cartier, Patek, etc. But what's crazy about Cartier is the Pasha. Explain to us about the Pasha, why it was made. Do you know the whole history? Yes. I know you do. Yes, of of course I do. So...
2: Uh, So, uh, the Pasha watch was, well, Pasha, Turkish word meaning king or head of state. So the Pasha watch was originally made for the Pasha of Marrakesh in 1936. So now, prior to that time, we hadn't really made any watches that were considered sports or, Mm -hmm. and and were not water resistant. So the Pasha watch was actually our first water resistant watch. And we say water resistant, not waterproof because um, Rolex uses that term, and that's, their, that's really their term to use, which is, oh, so we say water-resistant, okay. because Rolex really created waterproof watches with their Oyster Perpetual um, watch. So in 1936, we created the Pasha watch for mm-hmm. the Pasha of Marrakesh. Now, as legend goes, you know, he, he uh, had wives and concubines and things like that, so the Pasha watch was made for him for his bathing pools uh to wear in his bathing pools which is why it needed to be water resistant so
0: now that's a story Uh,
2: (laughs) that was originally 1936 and then the Pasha was launched to the public as a production watch in 1985
0: because you've mentioned that cartier for so long was not for the public
2: it really wasn't it it was uh You know, the House of Cartier for the Maison was really for royal families, celebrities, dignitaries, politicians, things. really the elite. It wasn't until um, the 60s, in 1968, when an investment firm uh, got together, Vendome Luxury Group got together, these gentlemen, who were trying to sort of bring the, the brand back together. In 1942, the last of the two of the three Cartier brothers passed away in 1942, and their children didn't take a lot of interest in uh, running the brand and managing the boutiques on a global level. So the 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 brand became very fragmented, uh, globally speaking, and franchised out and became you know individual ownership, let's say. So in the late 60s, this group of gentlemen with Vendome Luxury Group. Uh, said, you know, this is really important. This is such an important brand. Let's really bring it back together and sort of build a corporate structure to bring back the integrity of the brand. So that started in the 60s and that was the beginning of the Must, or Le Must de Cartier collection. First item being a cigarette lighter in 1969 and then subsequently the Must Tank collection. Now the word Must is not, you might hear in in your world, in my world, of course, Le Must it's not a French word. It's the word must in English. It means it's a must-have. That was the foundation. No did
1: know must was
2: must-have. It just means it's a must-have. And it was created in the 60s and then, of course, into the 70s, 1974, when we created our first accessories line of, of handbags and, and small leather goods. So it was just a, that it was a must-have. And it was more of an entry-level? Entry-level, so more um, common folk could could afford to buy into the brand, because prior to that time, jewelry and watches, these things were made kind of as one-offs. There was no production line. Hence, the Love Bracelet in 1969 became our first production piece. And who designed that piece? And that was designed by Aldo Cipullo, a gentleman working for the Maison as a designer, created the Love Bracelet.
0: And he was Italian.
2: He's Italian-American. Wait, uh, you are Italian yes. also? Wait a minute. <laughs> Can Did you I know Lose that? Name? Yes, oh. no, I, I wouldn't have guessed that. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that was in 69. Uh, and something a lot of people may not realize, but of course the screw motif that's represented in the love bracelet and is an iconic image throughout so much of our collection Where that originally comes from? I'm sorry. If this is just turning into a huge history class, I no, no. We we do this. People are
0: fascinated. Okay, fascinating. So
2: (laughs) the screw motif. Uh huh. So originally, actually, comes from our Santos watch from 1904. Okay. So what we know about the Santos watch was created for the Brazilian aviator Alberto Santos Dumont okay uh the santos watch this is a history question on jeopardy and trivial pursuit um, cartier did put the first wristwatch on a gentleman which was the santos watch in 1904 the purpose really out of practicality to be able to put a wristwatch on him to control the the his aircraft the controls of yes. his aircraft which was called the demoiselle we would know much much later just about a decade ago the demoiselle was a collection of watch so anyway to control the demoiselle his aircraft that's why we put the watch on his wrist prior to that turn of the century gentlemen carry time in their pockets now we did not create watchmaking or anything like this we're not saying that at all but we did technically put the first wristwatch on a gentleman and that was did you Alberto know that santos dumont
1: no i did not know that but I, dumont is also um you use that as a brand for some of your watches don't you a dumont
2: yeah, so th- that would be so in the world of Santos watches. So there is the the Santos Dumont, which is the slim um, case on a on a leather strap, and that is most indicative of the first watch w- that was made for him in 1904. In 1987, we launched the Santos Galbe, which just means curved in French. The word Galbe. That is the Santos watch on a metal bracelet, which is what most people know. Now, we did relaunch the Santos Dumont, you're right. We did re- relaunch the Santos Dumont uh, several years ago, um, which is a slim case um, on an alligator strap.
1: So most of the Galbays are quartz, correct? But some were automatic. Some were automatic, mm-hmm. yes.
2: Now, now currently, uh, all of the Santos Galbays are automatic. Mm-hmm. In the past, most of them were quartz movement, and Mm. there were some that were automatic, like the gentleman's sizes. Most ladies' size or small framed
1: watches are going to be quartz movement. Um, Do you know why that is? Tell me. The size of the oscillating pendulum or the the weight on the inside. On a small watch, the math doesn't work because you don't have enough mass to go around, and they can't be active enough to keep the mainspring wound up, from what I know.
2: Right, it, it does come down to the architecture uh, of the watch. Really, is 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 can it hold that that type of movement without getting into something that's considered a complicated movement? For instance, we do make very slim watches and even can be small petite watches with a mechanical manual movement inside of it. But um, this is considered fine watchmaking. And also, demographically speaking, a female demographic doesn't. Tend to care about the movement portion as much as a gentleman demographic would tend to care about the, the movement of the watch. Or
0: are so about the. Aesthetic. Well, I don't mean it. some
2: really, women do, yeah. Well, some I hardly, do, but it's I mean, it's, yeah. I use
0: my phone most of all now for right, time, right. as opposed. I feel like a watch now. Is Wait a almost, second. We're a
1: watch company. We don't say right.
0: that. But it's about. It's yeah. more about style and what we feel like we're in the mood for that day. Right. And so, uh, women for many years were the smaller watches, but now we're seeing this trend towards larger. Do you feel like Cartier buyers are still, females are still connected to the smaller size watches? Mm -hmm.
2: I I saw this happening in the late 90s, early 2000s, that Mm -hmm. women were really, maybe mid 2000s, women were buying really big chunky bulky watches and i don't see that that is the trend anymore as a matter of fact for our our lines we're going back to the more petite yes. more reserved more bracelety type of of watches which is why we relaunched the panther watch so because okay. it has that supple bracelet called panther because of the, the the link feels like the supple coat or the supple fur of a panther like a second skin on your wrist so we are seeing that trend going back to the smaller, smaller more delicate and petite watches for sure
0: and so I think love is the series that most people know about and covet and want when do you feel like it became kind of Mainstream that now that in Houston, Texas, a 16-year-old girl, a 12-year-old girl, Bella's yes. friends, won a love ring. Yes, like that is incredible.
2: We do we sell a lot of these for graduation. Yes, um, the, the the love rings to these to these kids now. Yeah, it's and that could crazy. be graduation from eighth grade even. I know. This is the thing. Yeah. Every year is a graduation. It's not just seen, we have I trophy. never heard of this before.
1: No. <laughs> everyone gets a trophy or everyone gets a Cartier ring. Everyone gets a,
2: and everyone gets a, a, a mini lovering ring. Or, I received yeah. my
0: first Cartier love anything at age 37 when he gave me mine. So it is, yeah. And it was something that I knew of Rolex. I knew of Cartier, but I don't feel like it was as mainstream as it is now. Yes. Or the number of units you sell now... 2x, 5x, 10x of what it is in the 80s, or do they tell you those kind of numbers? I
2: don't know those numbers specifically, like from the 80s. I can tell you in my 24 years, I started in 98 Uh at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas with Cartier. And I, I will tell you for the retail world, that is the litmus. Test of your emotions and, and the, the, the barometer of your skills is to work in a store in Las Vegas, in a, in a casino. Yes. Because you get every kind of human yes. being from, uh, from around the world that you can possibly imagine. And you know, Las Vegas is one of these demographics and this one of these markets that is a complete anomaly. There's nowhere like it in the entire world. To even compare it to, even to other gaming cities like Monte Carlo or Atlantic City, it's just not the same at all. So you have to be prepared. It's like theater, you know, you have no idea what's walking through your door.
0: And the most unlikely will spend the most money.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So you
0: can't be a snob about, and not that you've ever been, but it's it's kind of, um, the luxury brands are known to, like, you have to be dressed to go in and. But it, so tell us some of those. So
2: people do feel that way or apologize when they come in and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I can really afford to be here. I'm sorry I look the way I look. Listen, no tea, no shade. Like, <laughs> I will trust, honestly, you know, in our world of retail, you, you have somebody come into your store who's dressed to the nines. Okay, let's say dressed like us.
0: Yeah.
2: And right next to them, somebody comes in wearing athletic clothes. Right. I'm probably going towards the athletic clothes because 50% of the time, the person that comes in looking like like us, dressed to right. the nines, works in retail. <laughs> 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 so you don't need to dress up to come to my store. You don't need to wear all of your good jewelry. You don't need to do any of that. Uh, but it, And especially in an, in an environment like Las Vegas, you know, Houston is a little bit more dressy, but uh, in Las Vegas, so we would have these. I remember, so I'm from Oklahoma and uh, my family's in drilling. In, in Oklahoma, so um, c- kind of country. I'm not country, but I'm I'm Hollywood in my family. I'm I'm the family. <laughs> Baby, one.
0: you are Hollywood. But, and I grew up in Fort Bend County, hunting and yeah. fishing. And <laughs> meat.
2: But but this. Uh, so this gentleman came in one time, and he really looked homeless. Like uh. he really did not look like he belonged, even inside the the hotel, much less in my store. He walks in. And uh, my other salespeople, <laughs> colleagues or whatever, yes. kind of ignored him and passed by, yes. even passed by my director. And I said, you know what? He looks like my Uncle Terry. <laughs> I'm going to go talk to him. <laughs> so I went up and talked to him. And and he asked to see this suite of jewelry that was in the window, which was this, uh, this parour uh, necklace, bracelet, and earrings. It's about half a million dollars for this uh-huh. suite of jewelry. And he asked to see it. And, and I did show him. And he said, okay, well, my wife's in a, a poker tournament right now. And uh, we'll come back later. I'd like to show this to her. And I said, okay, wonder- yes, sir, no yes. problem. We'll, here's back. my card. Yes, come back. We, right. we close at midnight. It's start, like, just come whenever Whatever. you feel like it. Give him my card. So he came back a little later that night after his wife had finished the poker tournament. And um, he said, I'd, I'd, I was so shocked. He said, I'd like to show this to my, to my wife. And we put it on her. And I said, all right, what do you think? And she said, what do you think I think? She <laughs> said, right. daddy, we'll take it. To, to our husband, not yeah. me. And so he said, okay, there we go. Black MX, ready to go.
1: Fantastic.
2: And that was, you know, I was 24 years old. I was really yes. new with the brand. I had, I mean, not that I didn't know what I was doing. You know, the brand is so wonderful about their training. And I had been to yes. Paris already with the company in Switzerland. So I know what I'm doing, but that kind of... Shot, you know, to sell something at that level at such a young age and so early in my career, it
0: was and just so invigorating. And a half million dollars back in then, the
1: 80s that's like, well, this was 98, yeah. still, that's yeah. over a million now in Nine, real dollars, yeah, probably. Yeah. So that's outstanding,
2: yeah.
1: So I'd like to make a sale like that today, yeah. So it was pretty, pretty phenomenal.
2: And you know, working in that kind of market, you just never knew what was going to happen on day to day. I had another client who, um. They're from San Francisco. They built wine cellars for, for mm-hmm. Michelin restaurants and that sort of thing. And so they'd come in and they're buying, you know, love bracelets and just some, some basic, some standard iconic pieces or whatever, No, high, not high jewelry or anything. Well, they had invited me to this, um, to, uh, to the Bellagio, to the Picasso restaurant where they had done the wine cellar there uh, for a 12 course meal with all the wine pairing and all of this kind of thing. So I'm sitting next to Mrs. Uh, and we're um, on our third or fourth course, and she asked me uh, about Paris, and we were talking about trips and traveling internationally and such, and she said, what's it, something that you miss about about Paris, let's say food, even if it's not French food, what do you miss? And I said, gosh, you know what, Th- there's this amazing bird nest soup that I had there. And she said, oh, at the Place Vendôme, uh, at the Ritz-Carlton in Place Vendôme. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And she said, oh, gosh, yeah, that is wonderful. She said, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, "Uh, working. And she's like, oh, that's too bad. I was going to see if you want to have brunch at the the Ritz-Carlton in Paris tomorrow. (laughs) We're in Vegas at the Bellagio, of (laughs) course. And I said, no problem. Let me call my director. So I excused myself, I called my director, and in a very double wears product kind of moment, she says, Yes, absolutely, this is your job. Yes, <laughs> go with said, Okay, so I come back to the table and I said, That'll be fine. And I, I always keep, my, I always keep my, um, my bandoulier in the trunk of my car uh, with a change of clothes and a toiletry kit, because it's Vegas, you never know what's going to happen, right? So I said, I have a bag. And so she said, all right, well, let's finish our our meal leisurely and we'll have a a, a splendid time. And then uh, my husband's going to call the the pilot and then we'll go after dinner. We'll just go to the airport and get on their Gulf Stream and fly to Paris. And that's what we did. Fantastic.
0: And so were you able to take her to the Paris Cartier?
2: No, I didn't. It wasn't even about any of that. She wanted to go have brunch. Just
0: be with at, you. She'd go to the
2: Ritz-Carlton and have this bird nest suit, soup in the aviary. And, uh, I mean, we certainly, you know, did some little shopping around, but I, I, we didn't even go to the boutique there. So, anyway, things like what that just incredible. would happen to consistently. And I just feel like I just was never a person who would ever say no to anything. You know, I just thought, well, hey, this is life. What could go, what could possibly go wrong? You know what? If, if you're not harming kids and animals, I'm probably going to say yes. I mean, if it's legal, ah, well, okay. But you <laughs> have
0: been known to fly with clients to some pretty yes, amazing definitely. opportunities. definitely. Share some of those because you have where have you gone recently? You were telling me Paris, or did you do some things in Canada?
2: Um, not not recently. Okay. Uh, well, because I mean, the, of COVID. Because of COVID. So the last trips, I, the last I was doing was going to see clients in um, in Palm Beach, okay. and in New York and California. Not so much. Not so much New York. I haven't actually been overseas, in since before since before COVID. Um, well, but, we're
0: going. Hopefully, May twenty first. So maybe we can yes. have a moment at the Cartier Yes. In um, in Paris, it's going to be or I'll have to have the bird's nest soup at the Ritz. You know if you and know how
1: it's just, made, you may not we'll just ahead. let you try it first. Yeah. Oh. It well
2: from. and you know it's it's actually not a French it, that's not even French cuisine. It's it's Chinese mm-hmm. the bird nest, bird nest soup, but they happen to have it there. So anyway, I don't know if I don't even know if that restaurant is still there anymore. I haven't been there in ages. Mm-hmm. I mean, Crazy. this was twenty four years ago when
0: a, when true. that experience it's all happened. All changing but, so much. it, it yeah. doesn't matter what yeah. you eat when you're in Paris. It could be a baguette on the street, and you'll feel that's it right. Incredible. That's
2: right. So yeah.
0: uh, tell us about some of the most interesting pieces. So when you were in Vegas, you said that you we uh, you learned so much about repairs that were coming in and the pieces, and you have <clears> the <throat> books. Right now we have,
2: have have the internet. Back at that time, you know, in now we have the luxury in our in our boutique here here in Houston. We we definitely have the luxury of having a service salon and a service department, and mm-hmm. and in their roles in our service salon, which is amazing to have. Back in the old days, in most of our boutiques, we didn't have the luxury of of, uh, of a service salon or a service mm-hmm. advisor. Mm-hmm. So, every, you, everybody had to know how to do everything. It's just like you're in a, in a smaller business, let's say. Everyone in the building's got to know how to do everything. Oh,
1: yes. Wear every hat there is. Where, mm-hmm. Wear
2: every single hat. And so, that's really my original training when I started was, you know, if it's not just about selling, but it was about taking in repairs. And that was such a great uh, experience because I really ha- got to have my hands on older pieces, um, maybe some vintage pieces even, um, but you get, and, and also we had a lot
1: of books and these sort of catalogs oh. and these Bibles. It's like encyclopedias. In, these encyclopedias.
2: And so in my, in my spare time or free time, I was so enamored by the brand, and And I I just wanted to become so immersed in it, you know, so much, and to be part of something that was, you know, almost like the military became so much bigger than me, and I just, I just delved right into it. So I would spend so much of my time uh, looking through all of these um, archival books and things like that. And I have a pretty good photographic memory, so I would just remember where things were from. And now. To this day, people will bring things up to me, even from the service salon. You know, these guys that work in the service salon uh-huh. are quite a bit younger than me. You, you only have your experience that you have, so they've uh-huh. only seen as much as they've seen, so they'll bring something to me and say, okay, what's your best estimate on this? And I'll say, um, August 82 to November of 87. They're <laughs> like... How do you remember that? I have no idea. <laughs> I just have a photographic memory and I can just remember seeing things in all of these old books and archives and things like that. And it's a co- consistent, its er, sorry, um, a constant learning and, and yes. evolution over time. You never know everything, you can always improve, you can always know more, you can always do better. I just think that that's true in life. So I still, I have all of my Cartier books and I look through them still to this day and I'm always learning something new and finding out, you know,
1: different things,
0: so. Yeah. So
1: share your most prized, Oh My, uh, my yes. enamel box, this uh-huh. is probably my favorite piece here. This I bought many, many years ago, and I was told this piece was given out by the, um, the King of Maharaja as gif- gifts when people would come and visit the palace. Um, enamel probably from the 20s-ish, maybe a little earlier by the style and cuts of the stones, but mm-hmm. you tell me what your thoughts are.
2: Yeah, so there w- we were doing a lot of work for the, these royal houses uh, from around the world, but mm-hmm. especially during that time, uh, in the early 1900s to about the 1940s, we had really, really strong and deep relationships uh, with the royal families of of India or just the Far East in, in general. Mm-hmm. And so it was not uncommon for a lot of these types of things to be commissioned um, by by Maharaja. Um, or, or a dignitary of some kind from those mm-hmm. families and um, yeah so this yeah de- definitely to me would be 1920s maybe 1930s mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah just fascinating fun fun pieces yeah. to me it's just exciting can you imagine the wealth somebody had that this was a gift come on hey thanks for visiting me come come into our country And I'm going to give you this, and it held cigarettes probably at the time. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And smoking was very in vogue then, and it's just what people did. Right, everybody. So
0: speaking of gifts, so many brands now gift celebrities to wear their pieces on the red carpet just for the night. Right. And so many famous women, Grace Kelly being one of them, (laughs) the namesake of our baby. Right. Um, were those gifts, were they purchased? Like how did those relationships with Hollywood and royalty evolve? Because that's yeah. really fascinating now how we're trying to get be like our royalty. So
2: going back about uh 10 years ago was when we really started doing more pieces for the red carpet as far as loaning jewelry. If you think back to the early 2000s or back into the 90s or even 80s, when you would hear about red carpet, oh, who are you wearing? Uh, Harry Winston was a big name that you would hear. Yes, Because Harry Winston was was really known for loaning his jewels out to celebrities to get exposure to wear them on the red carpet but in most cases those items were probably not being purchased they were just on consignment for the purpose of these Mm -hmm. of these red carpet events and and to be publicized well Cartier never really did much of that until about 10 years ago we did find we did start to do Mm -hmm. that and then we'll see pieces being mentioned in some films and like the Ocean's 8 and so we're doing a lot more of that than we mm-hmm. used to because in the past i think well my feeling on it would be well these are the people who can afford to buy this stuff why would we loan it to them but we But times have changed. We don't have that luxury anymore. So, you know, you need to be able to put it on somebody who's notable and is going to get photographed and filmed and wearing wearing your creations. So we really jumped more on that marketing wagon, I think, in the last decade especially.
0: So if Grace Kelly wore it, it was Grace Kelly's?
2: It was Grace Kelly's, yes, that's right. Yeah, and, and the, are, we, we we created pieces many pieces for her. Oh, yes, Taylor. as well as okay. Elizabeth Taylor, and but all of those pieces were were purchased by their by
1: themselves or their family for sure. Oh, how fascinating! Elizabeth yeah. Taylor may be one of her many husbands,
2: and one of her and one of them <laughs> twice.
1: Yeah. <Yes. laughs> so we find it iconic. We talk about the love bracelet, but the nail bracelet for right. the Justin Clue the has Justin. become so hot lately. But yeah. wasn't that developed a long time
2: ago also? So. And a lot of people don't realize that because it seemed like it was brand new when it was launched in two thousand and fourteen. Yeah. When actually, the original launch date was in nineteen seventy one. So if we think about, um, you know, the Love Bracelet nineteen sixty nine, the Just Unclue nineteen seventy one. So it is from the same generation of product and the same designer from Aldo Cipullo who created the Love Bracelet, created the the Just Unclue bracelet in nineteen seventy one. Now there. For the Just Unclue, there's a lot of, uh, you know, different uh, theories of conversation about Mm -hmm. where people will say to me, as I'm telling you a story about the the love bracelet, there's a lot of history, a lot of lore to tell about that, but the Just Unclue, where's that design? It's a gold nail. It's just a nail wrapped around the wrist. And something that that Chipula was really known for was taking ordinary objects and making them into something precious. I mean, this is really luxury. Mm -hmm. So... Now, we do know that Aldo Chapula was a Catholic, um, Italian-American Catholic gentleman. So, um, in one of the, the books that's dedicated to him about his life and his story, he does talk about his some original inspiration for mm. the, the Just Unclue, um, being that he was Catholic, you know, his, his, one of his ideas for the Just Unclue was creating a piece of jewelry that would represent the ultimate sacrifice. Of course, um, talking about Christ on. Uh, you know, on, on the cross and being um
1: sacrificed. So uh now and it's
0: Easter week and, and now it's Easter is, yes. Yes. and so Passover, it's, both yes. Easter yes. Uh, Good
1: Friday on Friday and Passover on Friday. Yes, yes. yes. and my
0: yeah. hair she's Laotian, and they're actually celebrating Laotian New Year this week. So it's oh, interesting yeah. how there's so many yeah. rebirths and yeah. so much of that is probably the calendar, not just the religious calendars, right. but also the calendars based upon the seasons and so forth.
2: right, right, and lunar, yeah, yes. yeah. Now I would say in the '70s there was a lot of things happening, uh, really amazing things happening for women in business and and uh, in culture and things like that. So I think also I've heard some of my female colleagues say, you know, uh, about the nails, she just nailed it, or you know, things like oh. that. About the Girl Hel- Hel- Helen Reddy was very popular at that time. I yeah. am woman, hear me roar, and that that sort of thing. So I think that there's a can be a lot of inspiration wherever you you, you need, need to find it there.
1: And that yeah. vintage, the vintage nail or vintage Justin Clue is super super collectible. Yes. and it's, and just, it's thicker, it's, right? It's, it's bigger. bigger. It just re, You've come out with a, a larger diameter. So we the, have
2: come out with a new larger diameter. So there was the classic one that was that yes. was launched. Yes, uh, which is so the, the original and more like like the original, although probably mm-hmm. the, the original was a little bit thicker. Mm-hmm. So this new one is even thicker than that, and mm-hmm. then there is a jumbo as well, which you probably there's not many of them out there, but there is a jumbo, which the size of, it, of the nail head is about the size I think of, I've of seen a quarter. It <laughs> it's, yeah, but they're, never they're, they're, in
0: person. It's really, it's really,
2: really hunky. I mean, the, yeah. the tubing on it is about that thick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So would um, a woman
0: wear that, or is it more of a man? I have sold
2: it to, to, only to women. Okay, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, and I've
0: found that you size down in a correct. nail. From what your love bracelet correct. size correct. is. Correct, so
2: if you're a 17 and a love bracelet, uh-huh. you take a 16 in the Just Unclue.
1: And that's why the Just Unclue comes in size 15. Correct, correct. And the new yeah. love also comes and in 15. And the new
2: love also comes in 15. Um, so For the 12-year-olds. <laughs>
1: right, right, <laughs> right, exactly. For those yeah. no <laughs> <scrunch> graduating <laughs> from eighth grade. But
0: So, like, these are a 16, and these are a little tight, but also because I wear them above my um watch people ask me how should you wear it and i i say it's whatever you feel most comfortable with is there a way that cartier says they should
2: fit so the idea is that it is somewhat tailored to your wrist not spinning around like a bangle because it's not a round bangle so you don't want it to be spinning around like a bangle you want it to be somewhat tailored passing over the wrist bone comfortably I would say if your intention is to sort of permanently wear it with a watch, I like to see it a little more snug so that it's It's not not raking, and also not raking over the top of your watch, damaging the bezel, the crystal of of your watch. So I like them to sort of stay in their seating chart.
0: Exactly.
1: (laughs) And so there's been some development in technology in these bracelets also, because the the early ones had removable screws. Correct. eight or ten years ago you came out with the screws that stay in?
2: So actually that was, a, it, yes, so the the locking system changed but it was quite actually even longer than that. It was okay. in 2009. Okay. That's it was a f- because of a 40-year patent on the original locking system expired
1: and so the new locking system was created and that was launched in oh. 2009. I didn't realize it was a patent issue. I thought it was maybe more convenience because to take them on and off and try to put that screw back in is a two-person job sometimes. It is
2: a two-person job, and there's a lot for the the version one bracelets. You know, you take it apart, and that that little screw, I mean, it's Uh tiny. It's very easy to lose. It falls (laughs) in your shag carpet or whatever. So, and then they can be replaced, of course. But it was, so maybe some practicality, but it was more about a a patent situation and changing the, the locking mechanism, and also just the convenience of being able to to loosen it and the screws back out, but not completely. So you're not losing any of the, the movable
1: parts, basically. Now, didn't the shape change a little bit too on the, old, the original version? Because I've seen when they stack the original locking system and the new system, there seems to be sometimes a little difference in the shape of the, of the bracelet.
2: Well, the shape didn't really change, but you know, the internal component component is a little bit different because okay. it's got the male and female parts that have to go into each other. Um, that 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 the structure, the architecture of that closure is a little bit different. So that part did change. Overall the aesthetic of the external, um, there might be might have been a little bit of a difference. Um, where they don't the, lay the exactly
0: flat, whereas like these two could yeah. be Completely flat, and people ask me sometimes, should I do a bigger size next to the smaller? And I generally say, stay with the same. Stay size. with the same
2: size because you want them to align
0: mm-hmm.
2: as much as possible. We always say, stay with the same size, even if you've received one as a gift that maybe you feel is a little too big for you. I would mm-hmm. still go with the same size wherever you started. That's where we need to continue on that same, the same sizing.
0: Okay, so they come in white, gold, yellow, gold, rose gold, mm-hmm. and then. Tell us about the Trinity story with the different gold colors there. Yeah. Because we haven't talked about the Trinity with the original. When was that?
2: So the original was 1924, and it it was the ring. It's almost 100 years old now. Yeah, almost 100 years old. And so the original Trinity ring was made for uh, the poet and playwright Jean Cocteau. And so okay. the three golds representing for Cartier. Of course you can take Trinity into yeah, religious Father, con- connotation. We yeah. yeah. like <laughs> bring in that
1: Catholicism again. D- here we, we go. We
2: don't do that with <laughs> yes. Cartier. We're not aligning ourselves with any one particular sect of religion. So for Cartier, the three uh, golds represent or the Trinity for Cartier representing love, fidelity, and friendship. Oh so that's the origin of the Trinity ring. The style of the ring, the th- the the three interlocking rings that, uh-huh. that roll comfortably um, taken traditionally from a Russian wedding, wedding rings, which were those rolling ring basically type of, type of structure.
0: So did Tiffany do it after Cartier or were they all, was the Russians were doing it first and then brands kind of, you know, I'm suit? not, I
2: think some, just brands would follow suit with that. Now ours was okay. 1924. I'm not sure when, when Tiffany's, uh, rolling rings came out. But my feeling on this with with any designer in any Mm -hmm. house of luxury, anybody who makes anything, there's only so so many shapes in the the world. This is geometry and math. There's only so much that exists. So there's going to be crossover and repeat and and things like that. So um, but so that was originally 1924. And then um, sometime, I guess, probably late 90s, early 2000s, we started Mm -hmm. seeing a lot more in the Trinity collection coming out bangles in that collection yes the, you know the round bangles as well as I don't earrings know if we have any uh, here,
0: but with something that we have quite pendants that and
1: that then could. you started pavéing them also
2: and then in the 90s we did start doing the trinity rings in fully pavéed uh-huh. or partially pavéed uh-huh. um, some with that kind of uh, one of them called constellation which has a five bezel set diamonds in each of the bands and okay. so there's been a lot of a lot of animation over the years i mean we've done trinity even in high jewelry pieces um with these sautoir necklaces um, Mm -hmm. with the trinity rings um, throughout and then with different colored um, freshwater pearls in like apricot lavender and cream color pearls to um, to match sort of those different colors of the three tones of gold so that that was also in the 90s into the mid 2000s
0: but your expertise is in diamonds
2: uh, yes, my my expertise is I, I do a lot of uh, diamond business. Yes, and uh, we are we are seeing that business growing as people are starting to get engaged and and want to get married again. Now that families can start to come together, after these two years, we saw a hu- obviously a huge lapse of people buying things like this and getting engaged because. People couldn't feel like they could have weddings where their whole family, their both sides of their families, could attend, and we're seeing that uh, that trend com- that coming back. So, so people,
1: yeah. I think, are maybe scared or intimidated coming to Cartier to get an engagement ring, but you have engagement rings that start at ten thousand dollars, five thousand dollars, five thousand dollars. Yes, of
2: course. Okay. Yeah, we have any. All of our stones are come with a GIA or anything over. 0.18 or 18 points.
1: Anything over 18 points comes with a GIA certificate.
0: And you guys tell about GIA because not everybody listening GIA
1: is the Gemological Institute of America. They have offices right. in the U.S., in, in, in um, Asia, and in uh, India also. But they're an, a non-biased grading. Only gray diamonds they don't buy and sell jewelry. They don't do anything. And their certificate is good anywhere in the world. I mean it's... it's Whereas
0: an appraisal
1: is isn't but i mean they're, they're fantastic because they're they're non-biased
0: GIA appraisal has meaning but not, we get people that come in with appraisals and say this right. is supposed to be worth fifty thousand dollars and we always ask and say it's a, a this whatever cut color clarity and if it doesn't have a gia certificate with it it's It's only worth the paper that the appraisal is on sometimes.
1: That must be a a challenge for you guys, taking in these pieces. Because we're the
0: messenger telling them. Right.
1: right. We have to tell them that this appraisal from some jewelry store in New Mexico uh, that says it's worth $40,000. I said, well, it's not really what that is. But Uh GIA... It is what it is. What it is. And
0: Cartier, that name alone also has innately carries a value on the pre-owned market because it's right. an exceptional, more than just a GIA piece from someone else.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. And I imagine the challenge for you also is authenticating because there's there's a lot of copies, oh, a lot of fakes out there, and I know that's a big part of it's a big a big, big challenge. challenge for you guys because you you know what you know, and I'm, you're, you're probably as much of an expert as I am, as much as you've seen. Um, on your side of, of the business, um, but there's good. There's,
1: there's great good copies. There's, there's really, great, really great, good great good copies, good out copies out there, and. Um, and now
0: with mined diamonds, it's also difficult if you don't have a right. GIA or with right. drilled right. diamonds. Mm-hmm. Do they? Does GIA give the, a they, certificate? They,
1: for a drill? they will. They'll put a note in the bottom. Laser, laser drilled. And there'll be an asterisk on there and it's in in black and white. You can see that it says laser drilled Mm -hmm. because that was a technique they did in the seventies and eighties. If a diamond had a black spot in it that you could see visibly, they could take a laser drill, a really fine, fine drill, put a hole to that spot, soak it in an acid, and it would turn that black into white or clear inclusion and would make the diamond visibly prettier. It's not a technique they really use anymore. We don't really laser drill stuff because they've got an ability now with machinery and technology to, to cut and, and, figure out a rough better. right? right. But also on the love bracelet, for a little time they did make a platinum love bracelet. We did, we Mm -hmm. did. Very rare.
2: You know, we retired, yeah, we retired the the platinum version, uh, it was in 2012, about, yeah, 2012, 11 or 12. And the reason is, so when I, 20 something years ago when I started, we did not and we had a lot of requests for a platinum love bracelet. So finally, we made a love bracelet in platinum mm-hmm. and we hardly sold any of them mm-hmm. because the, the price was twice the price of the white gold. Mm-hmm. So people said, I want I wanted it, no, I really want it in platinum. But then when the price for the, the yeah, white gold, were... let's say is $7,000 and the price for the platinum one is $14,000, then they say, oh, okay, well, they look the same. Yeah, I mean to an untrained eye they, they do look like they do look the same. Part and part of that reason is because our white gold has a platinum content to make the gold white in color, not nickel. Because uh, some people might have allergies to nickel and nickel is commonly used to make the gold white in color and we know It's not.
1: much cheaper to use nickel and cheaper, than yeah. it is to use platinum in there to keep the color and right. it's a, it's a purer color with your white gold because right. white gold is really yellow gold with platinum right. added to it to change right. the color. Which is
2: why also our white gold pieces are um, more than the yellow gold or rose gold um, partners, so, yeah.
0: and Math. There, there we go, more
1: math again. More math, <laughs> more math. More math.
0: So, there have been so many supply chain issues around the world yeah. with luxury. People weren't able to travel. We were concerned when COVID hit that people were not luxury, but what we found that everyone had so much... Free time. Time, Let's go shop free... and make
1: ourselves feel better. Right. So
0: tell us about how you've seen the Cartier business changing through COVID.
1: Significant growth.
2: Significant growth. You know, we went to an appointment-based model. model and there's certainly challenges with that. We don't want to turn away anybody's business. You know, your business, everybody's business import, is important to us. Uh-huh. Um, no matter the, the size of, your, of the purchase everything matters everything is important you know Mm -hmm. and we want to be available as available as we possibly can but our goal from the corporate structure on on down to the individual boutiques is to protect the employees and to protect the guests that are coming in and to control capacity so we went to the appointment based model this is this can be really challenging when you've never had a business model like that before and suddenly it feels like the doors are closed and you're in the River Oaks district having lunch with your gals and you have a glass of wine and now it's time to go shopping and it sort of eliminates that you know um, spontaneity spontaneity and that impulse purchasing and things like that. We will take walk-in guests if we have somebody available to serve you essentially. And you can
1: call too Well, say they're at Toulouse and they're, they're having their second glass of wine. Hey Let's call and see if we can get in in 30 minutes. You can call
2: or stop by. You can call your salesperson if you already have an established relationship. We definitely encourage, we all have our own corporate cell phones. We encourage you to text or call us individually. We will set appointments for you um, ourselves. We have a concierge team dedicated to these roles. Uh, to to receive our guests and very door. polite and yeah, and I
0: apologize and, if there's not a space and, and
2: very accommodating Yeah,
0: but I have to say that it makes for I mean we've done that here and we I've shared this with you We feel like we're going to continue to be by appointment right. because if you're If your clients come in and you're not available for them, then they're not getting the best experience right. And they're not getting the time that they deserve so right Um, I think people are responding to it in a way that's productive and then you're able to really accommodate and show them what you have that they want and maybe show them what they really want that they didn't even know that you have because you can... Absolutely. Invest the time exactly. and not be rushing to the yeah. next person. And
2: sometimes it is a fact-finding mission. You know, I have some ladies come in together in a group, and they want to look and they want to get their sizes because a lot of times the husbands don't always know the size of the bracelet. Or the hey, Mother's stays
1: around the corner. Or, I need to know, am I a 16, 17, or an 18? Just subtly yeah, tell your husband yeah, do before and
0: you exactly. can then give exactly. a wish list for them, right? Oh she's more fond of this watch. Correct. If you're in this price range. That's exactly right. this is an option we she can wants.
2: go we go in the client profile, there's a tab, an icon to put in a wish list. Mm-hmm. We put everything in there. We know the sizes, we know that all the preferences. Um so we know how to take that journey together, you know, to build your collection and and in the end, and you know, obviously, from your business as well, a lot of times these this is a journey. Not everybody can afford to come in and take everything that they want at once. Most people cannot. So it is a journey to, uh-huh. to, to take with your clients, and it is about building those, those relationships. So mm-hmm. sometimes you, you need to come in and do that sort of thing. You don't have to leave with a shopping bag. I mean, we like that, but you don't have to do it. don't be intimidated by that you say well i'm not ready to buy now that's okay you can come in and and work with me Mm -hmm. and let's let's decide what you know what's best for you and we'll build a plan and
1: yeah okay
0: so we've already reached the end of our time Uh, oh i have one more more question no you can't and then i also want to ask you well you go
1: so the must collection was the must-haves that's right you made verme watches which was correct um, gold plate over sterling. Correct. Do you have something in that price point now, still, or where 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 can you get a tank watch? What are where those started? Because that's an iconic piece of yours.
2: Yeah. So we're not doing the vermeil or the gold plated um, pieces at all okay. anymore. We do. We have recently relaunched the. Tank, which is in stainless steel, on a, a leather strap or a metal bracelet. So it is in stainless steel. Okay. It is in stainless steel. It is the Must Tank. The case of the watch is very similar, mocks the silhouette of the original Louis Cartier Tank, more rounded edges. Mm-hmm. The previous Tank Solo uh, was a little bit more squared off uh, on the bracelet and the case. So now the new Must Tank is uh, the more rounded and sort of romantic lines. And those start
1: under five thousand.
2: Twenty seven hundred. Twenty seven hundred. Yeah. Okay.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's
0: awesome yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and what are you are, are you seeing a real switch to yellow gold and or is there still a pretty even division
2: i can tell you that because we're a european company most of what we uh, when we're talking about yellow gold and rose gold m- in europe and asia we mostly sell rose gold okay yellow gold is mostly what's sold in north america and south america Fascinating. yeah so yellow gold is definitely uh the the most sought after and that's what we saw the most of but conversely it's what we make the least of (laughs) really we just have less to offer typically in yellow gold as we do rose gold because rose gold globally is what we sell more of
0: and what's interesting is because of supply and demand on the pre-owned market the yellow gold love it trades at a higher price than the white gold right. love. even though the white gold retail is more it's technically
2: more expensive right yes. right isn't that fascinating? Right.
0: and then what about diamond rings now that people are going mm-hmm. back to yellow yeah. gold we're not really seeing that people are switching to yellow gold bands because there's se- mm. they like no. the idea of the the platinum against the diamond are you right the solitaires go back the solitaires the...
2: are still going to be in platinum okay. yeah I, we're not really seeing anything coming out changing uh, the classic solitaire to a yellow gold or rose gold setting. We have them, some, but not much. It's still mostly all platinum it, in it. For engagement rings is, is, is mostly always gonna be platinum for us.
1: And is round the most popular shape round, still? Round is still, yeah. And then I'm, I'm seeing oval has been a big trend in the last few we years also. We are seeing also.
2: oval, and the last time I we really saw this, it, in, in the diamond world, I think, was probably in the 80s or 90s mm-hmm. for the oval marquee. Um, cuts sort of more some of those fancy cuts but we're seeing some of these kids now kids in their 20s you know remember their mothers or their grandmothers pieces of jewelry you know in these oval the marquee cuts so I'm hearing I'm getting people asking for things like that round is still the most sought after it is the best yes. way to cut a diamond etc but ovals are, are having a, a are resurgence A resurgence yeah mm-hmm. and yeah. if
0: you don't have it you can have it shipped in so it oh be- correct It's not just what you have in inventory. No, no.
2: I mean, I have what I have in my case and some in understock, but in most cases, we, we need to curate this. We need to sit down and have a conversation to talk about what's most important to you in a diamond. What are you looking for? What's the budget? And then I look into uh, my resources and I bring the pieces in for uh, a secondary or third or fourth appointment to. So
0: you don't have to fly to New York to see an exhibit. Y-
2: you don't have to.
0: Or Paris. You no, could no. You bring the pieces here. We bring them to here. And bring there's them a lot here. of the series that come through. Correct, The exhibits yeah. that you have that are really exceptional. Correct,
2: correct. Yeah, we have trunk shows at different times of the year, so we'll have different uh, collections being brought in, high jewelry and things like that. So
0: I've just left our. Choice. We could have done this well, for thank two hours. You so much I that
1: know. means he can come back.
0: Yes, I no. would love to. Thank you so much. Thank you for Is having us. Is that how you say me. it in yeah. French? Do
1: <laughs> yes, my wife yes. Yes, my yes. speaks Texas
0: French. accent. Like only Grace Kelly. Only a, only a Grace Kelly's with
1: us. Yes. <laughs> Right. She's the show stealer as usual. I know. Her snoring keeps
0: us all awake. Alright, thanks guys. What an incredible day. Hope you guys have a wonderful week until next time.
1: Awesome. Thank Thank you.